This week on The Lunch, it's writer-director-actor Shane Carruth of the film Upstream Color at La Mill Coffee. Remember, The Lunch is brought to you by Snoot Entertainment. Snoot Entertainment, proud makers of independent films like You're Next. You're listening to The Lunch, a podcast about film and, yes, food, where every week I dine with the creator or critic in the world of film, and then after that meal, we record this podcast. This week, I'm in Silver Lake at La Mille Coffee, and it's very much my pleasure to have as my guest, Mr. Shane Carruth, the writer, director, actor, co-editor, and many other hats in the film Upstream Color, which premiered at Sundance pretty much a year ago. Shane, thank you very kindly for joining us. Well, hey, thanks for the, the free meal. <laughs> that, you know, I figure if you're asking people to spend an hour of their time, yeah. they shouldn't be fed. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no disputing it. I, I, the one thing I did ask you over our separate salads, which is very L.A., it's just what your week was like leading up to Sundance 2013. I know a bunch of filmmakers who are friends or frenemies who are getting ready, and some of them are doing color correction, and some of them are working on the last bit of Foley. You had a very different set of concerns coming up to the uh, coming up to Sundance 2013. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, there was there was a plan in place, and and we were lucky enough to have the film premiere at Sundance, and wanted to use that to you know whatever benefit we could, and. The decision had been made um, uh, months previous uh, to to distribute it through, you know, basically self-distribution. Although I kept, uh, I was told multiple times not to call it self-distribution because that sounds uh, amateurish or whatever. But that's what it was. I mean, um, we had been, uh, you know, uh, actually the week before Sundance, there was something um, uh, in a city just north of Park City uh, in Utah called the Artists. Uh, Oh, shoot. It's a rough agglomeration of independent theater owners who come together to look at potential films for the next year. Exactly. Very much like Show West or uh, Cinecon. I'm I'm blanking on the name. You actually mentioned it when I talked to you a year ago about the film. So we're going to go back and we'll look it up. Great. Okay, so I was showing the film to 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 these independent theater um, owners and bookers. um, and, uh, And so we even had some positive word about how you know how many theaters would be able to go to we we, we had a uh, drop date for the the trailer drop date that's the first time i've ever used that phrase and i decided to do it now um uh so basically going to sundance was just feeling like uh, a business person or, or a, a fake distributor um and just trying to make sure everything was going to line up and that i didn't say anything stupid before it was time to start talking you were also mentioning that it's sort of the inverse of what happened with Primer, and that Primer started in very small theaters, yeah. and it kind of kindled, and it caught on, and it played bigger and bigger theaters, and that you did not have the advantage of that this time around. It was, he's back, big theater, yeah. from the jump. How, how daunting was that? Um, it, I mean, very much, but but uh, feels, I mean, so fortunate to even have that, to... to um, I mean, yeah, the first time, you know, Primer, I was just lucky to even have the, the film there. I mean, 
uh, with Upstream as well, but um, it, it opened, you know, I think in the library, which at the time, maybe now, it, it was the smallest of all the venues they have there. And then by the end of the week, it was playing the biggest. And uh, that's how I sort of cut my teeth on what a Q&A even is. Um, uh, and just sort of work my way up. And so this time around, this is like, you know, the first time I uh, had to talk about a film and it was going to be in front of 3,000 people um, after they'd just seen it. And I mean, I'm, I think Upstream is a really a good work, but it's definitely not the easiest thing to be talking about as the credits are rolling. Um, so that, yeah, that was the experience. Um, when you... When you come, I, I mean, I still remember the look on your face. I was there when you won the Grand Jury Prize for uh, Primer uh, in the awards room, and it was, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and Zoe Deschanel, as you said, and a female director uh, had introduced the Sloan Prize earlier, and you got the Grand Jury Prize, and I can still remember the look you had, because it was remarkably as if you had gotten away with something. Yeah. expected at any moment, like, I don't know, somebody to swoop down and go, no, 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 we're just messing with you. Well, that's that's exactly what it felt. Well, because um, I, you know, I spent the week, it was just sort of a, a whirlwind of, of uh, having anxiety over Q&As and, like, you know, trying to figure out, well, how do you get a distributor? How does this work? Um, and uh, to be honest, you know, that wasn't going so well either. And, um, and so the day before, or maybe the day of the awards, that's when I, I saw the first movie that I got to see at Sundance, other, other than Primer. And um, it was a movie that was uh, in, in competition. And I, I, didn't, I, I couldn't concentrate on much of it because my thoughts were elsewhere. But what I remember is that it was like a real movie. Like I walked in and, and it, was, uh, it was like, you know, it had a real camera and a real lights and actors that I had seen before. And uh, the cinematography is what I kept remembering that it was like, oh, wait, there are other movies here that look like real movies. And my little thing in my parents' garage is up against these guys. And so I like felt actually really relieved because there was no chance that it was going to win anything or any kind of award. Um, it was just we were just lucky to be there, and and that felt great. And so that's that was my mindset going into the award ceremony. So there was it wasn't just like, oh, uh, that's 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 uh, strange or or unexpected. It was like that's impossible. That was my that was my thinking. But you have all these other films. Well, I, 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 yeah, 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 exactly. Probably saying the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. What? Are you sure? Have you seen the other ones? You you have other films. You, we were when we were talking over lunch. You mentioned in a very warm, self-deprecating way that now and then you you, you know you feel or you feel like your thought process is quote unquote pompous, a word that you used with a bit of a laugh. And we were yeah. talking about that weird balance between bravado and insecurity, in that you have to create this entire thing with your mind and push it uphill, and still be able to convince yourself every second of a day that it's worth doing. Yeah. It's really it's stra well, it's, it's strange because it doesn't it feels crazy uh, it, and when it happens when it happens multiple times in a day where you feel like the, the well I'm, I mean I'm writing now so that's where my head is now where uh, I, I I go from a moment where I think this is this this is such such a good story I'm so glad to be able to be working on it and then you know an hour later I'll think no one's no one's ever going to want to watch this this is this is horrible. This is crazy. Why am I even wasting my time? I could be, you know, washing cars or something um, for money. Uh, so I don't know. It's weird that it, it's, uh, for me anyway, uh, for me, it's, it's been, you know, if I wasn't, if I wasn't so naive, uh, I, I wouldn't have, have tried anything. And that would have been 
both maybe good and bad for me. I still can't figure it out. But you were unaware of what was impossible. Yes. Yes. And constantly. Th- and That's therefore, the wound up having to do it. Y- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with Patton Oswalt? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he does a great bit about his own creative self-doubt whenever he's writing a project, and uh, the great uh, a film. Thank you very kindly, sir. Great. Thank you. He talks about this this uh, old horror film called Deathbed, which is about a piece of demonically possessed furniture that eats people, and you can extract that from its tagline, Deathbed, the bed that eats people. They weren't really trying to. And he says, whenever I have self-doubt, I just think of a writer of Deathbed waking up every day and going, this is great. You know, say what you will about Deathbed, it's finished. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. Do you, I mean, are you somebody who gets an idea and begins writing it and just goes, got it, we're going all the way to the finish line? Or are you somebody who has that, that trunk full of stuff that you had to write to determine if it would work? Um... Well, I don't, uh, I'm trying to think if I've thrown anything away before. Uh, I've definitely thrown things away. So I don't know. I, I know that there, at some point I, I get obsessed with some idea or exploring some, some, some nuance or, or a story idea. And I, I start accumulating notes. And there's just some point where I, we were talking about architecture earlier. But once I recognize something that I think is elegant about the architecture of the story that becomes sort of a tipping point and that's when I, I feel like okay this is uh, this is worth this is worth finishing and investing time in I'm the, it's I, I don't know what it is it's like uh, it's like if you're chipping away at marble or something and you start to recognize that oh wait okay so there's a shape under there I just have to remove all this stuff that's not it that's what it starts to feel like it, it's like a downhill race or it feels like it's going to be at that point um, I, I yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, I have lots of you know, I have lots of <laughs> pieces of architecture sitting around that aren't finished. Um, but that's only because uh, I mean, they, they take so long to finish. You, for me, anyways. And then the the gross part of it is balancing the idea of whether whether this is even something I can I can try to make happen in the physical world. Like this, you know, I might have a story where. I don't imagine ever having the the budget or means to to complete that in a way that I think would be proper. So uh, it has to. It'll just sort of sit there and stay there. And again, do you ever have a whole thing of I think this is good, but I need to write it to know. I have to get it out. You can't just tell from the virtual model of it you have inside your head. It never feels like that. I've been wrong before. I mean, I've, I've written, you know, the, the first the first script that I was going um, to try to make into a film before Primer, I mean, I remember when I was writing it, I felt really great about it. Um, and then afterwards, uh, didn't and realized, and now I feel like that was one of the smartest decisions I ever made is not pursuing that because, I mean, it really, it would have been an embarrassment if I made that thing, I think. Um, I'm so. trying to, I'm trying to, it's like, I'm trying to picture what it was because I can't, I can't really imagine you making the stereotypical, let's go on a road trip in a stolen car with great pop tunes and fall in love indie. I mean, honestly, that's pretty close. Pretty, really? I mean, not maybe not as bad as, as we can imagine, or maybe maybe it was. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't done, I wasn't done uh, reading. I shouldn't have been writing because I wasn't done reading. That's what I, that's what I 
I, I wasn't done digesting film language or where we've, we've been. Not that, I, not that I, I'm some kind of expert now at all, but um, I was really, I was more than naive. I was just plain aping style. I mean, just really embarrassing stuff. Yeah, anyways. I well, shouldn't we'll, have admitted that, but yeah. We'll fail to delve deeper. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> if you went through my abandoned projects trunk, you'd find <laughs> deeply, deeply horrible things. Mm. Awful. Just wretched. Good to know. Yeah. Um, we were talking also about uh, the idea of uh, uh, how pretentiousness is an adjective often applied, but how often pretentiousness is like the, the, how you track, how you find ambition. Yeah. Like you have to have a little bit of one to have the other. I mean, when... Have you gotten to a point where you hear pretentious as a compliment, or does it still sting a little bit? Oh, about me? About, oh, no, about uh, your work. About, uh, actually, there's there's almost... At this point, especially with Upstream, there's almost nothing anybody can say that I have a strong reaction to. Like, they can praise it to the heavens, they can say it's the worst thing in the world. Those... Uh, those unfortunately don't mean anything different to me at this point only because it's you the you, I don't know I don't know if getting a thick skin is the right term for it because it's no it's not the right term for it I don't really uh, I know Upstream's a great work uh, and that's it feels uncomfortable to even say that but I know that as much as I know anything um, so people's opinions of it are interesting to me, but they don't incite any kind of passion in me. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It, You're wild and unlikely to take a swing at somebody who says, oh, it, I, I didn't dig it. But you're also unlikely to high-five someone who's like, best thing I ever saw. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that anybody says something nice, but at the same time, it's... Uh, I, I, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's, you can't take it all personally or else you would be all over the place. So because of that, it just, none of it can really matter. It can't, you can't, you can't embrace a good review if you're not willi- willing to digest, you know, a, a really bad review. So it, I don't know, you just wind up, wind up trying to be a pleasant person and that's about it. Is, is having the film done more of a victory point than people's reactions to it? Like, oh my God, we can show it, we can release it, it's, it's well, finished. No, well, here's the thing. I, my, my definition of success is whether a work has relevance in sometime in the future, sometime beyond all of this right here where we're you know, involved with marketing and conversations about distribution platforms and, and you know awards and whatever else once all of this goes away if the work still exists in the future and it's relevant on on you know whatever threshold it's being judged then great it, it was successful it didn't it didn't disappear off the planet and nobody noticed and it didn't also you know make a ton of money but doesn't matter in any real um, universal sense um, if it can if it can just exist in the future, then that's great. Anthony Lane so, is in his collection of film criticism has this line that movies are either written about in the white heat of their release or pre-release or from a cool remove of 40, 50 years. Yeah. I often feel like it would be nice if we could like bring those in a little bit. You had the great line you were talking about. Your dream would be that you get a film released and then a year later on Charlie Rose is when the director unpacks it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, if, if we were going to, I think we were talking about Q&As and, 
and how like that convention seems a little alien to me. It seems because because as an audience member, like I there's nothing there's nothing in me that wants to hear what the author has to say when the credits are rolling. Like I'm not I'm either not done with the film uh, and I and I want to turn it over um, myself or have a conversation with it, or I am done with it and I sure don't care what anybody has to say about it. I just want to get going. Um, but what I don't typically want, if a work really has affected me, I, I don't really want the, the answer key coming out in Q&A form right then. And I also don't really care what it, what was it like working with X or whatever those those line of questions are. So it's like I that that convention, I you know I'm I, I use it as, as as well as I can to, to try to try you know for the films to have as much awareness as they can. And people claim the Q and As are, are something you have to do or whatever, but. Um, yeah, we were saying. I, I mean, it'd be it'd be equally as good or better if the convention was you put out a work and then you're somehow required uh, to show up a year later in some sort of very dry Charlie Rose style format. And uh, yeah, answer like here's here's what here's what people say uh, uh, your your work is about. Uh, uh, defend it. Is that right or wrong? Uh, you know, prove it in some way that that your this was your intention or it wasn't your intention or whatever that. Not, not that I want that to happen. I'm just saying that uh, that would start to make a little bit more sense to me. Uh, I also like the mental image of filmmakers putting the envelope up their heads like Johnny yeah. Carson doing Karnak. <laughs> but in a hermetically, hermetically sealed uh, jar. Yeah. I've, also, I've also had the experience of having... I, I tend to eschew Q&As because a lot of the times I will be writing a film up and I'm concerned about something being over-explained or something that wasn't in the film bubbling up through it and and imposing it upon the film. But I also know people who've said, you know, for example, uh, that Kelly Reichert's Meek's Cutoff, they enjoyed far, far more substantively uh, after, you know, without her Q&As. Because in the Q&As she would just go, well, character X signifies A, and character Y signifies B, and yeah. symbol Z symbolize C, and they were just tearing their hair out going, shut up, That actually shut sounds up. really brilliant. Though. You're taking it away from me. <laughs> oh, see, that's perfect, though. What a, what a great way, if, 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 the, if the goal was to, to diminish Q&As in general, that's a great way. Like, it'd be great. If, like, if, you, if people went running out, before the Q&A, because like, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. That'd be cool. I'd yeah, be cool. If, if, if people were requesting a light snack of information and you just hooked up the gravy pipe yeah. and just hosed them down until they were bloated and uncomfortable. Perfect. When you look at the coverage, when you look at, you know, reviews, pieces, Sundance coverage, how much of a double-edged sword is it that it's Shane Cruz, one-man maverick, self-distributing, directing, co-editing, writing, composing... I mean, how it's an easy hook, it's an easy story, and anything you can give a name of a film out there is great, but do you feel like, A, that does a disservice to the people with whom you collaborate, and B, that you're not doing those things that are some weird Ed Wood-style egotism? You're doing them because you're the only human being you could afford to have do them? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, my head's all over the place with that, because what's funny is... Um, it's sort of like an inside joke with, you know, you know, Casey Gooden, who's a producer on the film, and Meredith Burke, who's a producer, you know, we'll, we'll be trying to ship out DCP drives to, to places or get trailers or posters shipped, all this stuff. And, um, you know, when, uh, an article will come out and say roughly what you said, and they'll both, they'll both you know, make fun of me and stuff. Because, uh, yeah, I'm supposedly this, this one-man 
band. Um, so there's that, and but I don't know. I think we're all happy to get whatever awareness we can. Um, I, I don't know. I. Uh, I mean, there's no such thing as bad publicity, but there is wrong publicity. Does that sting more? It's weird because it's it's both right and wrong. Like, there's a level of granularity to to what I'm what I'm usually doing with my day that some of the articles don't even come close to talking about. I mean, like you know, like you you said that I I have to pick the stills and like. I'm, it's not picking the stills. It's grabbing them right off the, the the final cut timeline, and then putting them through Photoshop, and and coming up with an eight step system that allows me to to you know make them uh, reproducible for print. Uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a bunch of technical stupid stuff. Like the you know I I I, pre- I pretend to be this 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 uh, music composer. Um, uh, but that doesn't even come close to like the amount of time spent um, uh, preparing the music for distribution as an album, um, and you know the engineering that's involved with that. And like, I'm not an engineer; I don't know how to do this stuff. And so I'm, you know, up at three in the morning downloading uh, plugins to get rid of these little staticky clicks that are happening in the soundtrack. My life is filled with these sorts of details. It's right. it's not typically filled with anything. Um, as or direct, like directing, like I'm basically I spend like 0.01 percent of my time as a director, uh, and that's what I'm I'm hoping to be. And I spend 99 percent of my time as a uh, as people's secretary or or tech support or whatever else. So so if there's an article that's uh, that's saying I'm 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 a one man band or whatever. You know, it's both a, an inside joke with with the with with the people that I'm actually working with that know that that's not really the case. And at the same time, uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. It's it's off the mark in a couple ways, but we just we just take it for what it's worth, um, which is which is uh, making the the film uh, more popular is the hope, I guess. I don't know. That that was the worst answer anybody's ever given to any question ever posed. That's not true. I've seen the Watergate hearings. Um, <laughs> what's your writing process like? Are you one of those people who wakes up every day and goes, I'm going to sit down, put in my two hours, and then walk the dog, do the laundry? Are you somebody who wakes up and has a cup of coffee and goes, oh, the new New Yorker came. I need to read that to see if there's any inspiration. Uh, um, when, I'm, when I'm doing good work, it's really, really dil- diligent. I'm up, uh, I'm up at five. I, I, I get a little bit of writing done, just enough to sort of uh, wake myself up, and then, then I'll, I'll go on a run and, and spend most of that time thinking about it, and then I'll come back and do at least at least two or three hours of, uh, you know, I have like a deal with myself, regardless of, of what, I, what I get out of that time as far as pages, like that time has to be spent focused in front of the material. Um, and then when things are going well and, and I... I uh, I'm starting to accumulate, accumulate pages. I'll, I'll set some rules for how many I have to get a day, or else I don't get to go to bed. Stuff like that. So uh, that's typically what I do. Uh, are you one of those people who can write anywhere? Can you write in an airport, or do you have like the spot, the desk by the window? Now I can. I can. I can do it almost anywhere because I. Uh, I well because I I. Uh, I'm, I'm usually writing music in the same period of time that I'm writing story, so I've got about you know 90 minutes worth of, of music that I think of as you know the sort of first 
first version of the of the score, and so I'm I'm basically listening to that while I'm writing, and so I go into this other state. It doesn't really matter where I am. Um, I did another read of Walt, Walter Mosley, the the writer. He did a great, very thin book called This Year You Write Your Novel. And his whole thing was that you have to be able to consciously go back into the dream of the work every day. And that's what maintains it as perpetual in your head. And that's where it starts really growing and really building. But if you don't go back to it every day, it just withers and dies. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're somebody where once it's cracking, you've got to go every day. Like, no trips to Disneyland, no, no pauses to marathon scandal with a good wife. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's uh, I, that's a, that was a good way to put it. What uh, that quote? Because that's um, like like I, I run I run every day, uh, but I, I don't like running. But I it, because I do it every day, I know that it's coming anyway. So stop thinking about it and just go do it. And then as I'm in the mi- middle of it, uh, I. I really love the idea that it happened. Like something I never would have made myself or, or would have chosen to do, I'm now doing and enjoying it. So like that, just that little bit of rigor is is just important to me. And I know that that's how it is with writing. It's um, it's I, I would never I would never in a million years be inspired to sit down and write for fun. But I know that it's um, I know how satisfying it is, and so it's just one of those. This sounds like I'm <laughs> pretending I'm inventing something, but no. I'm not. The, the classic the line is thing. always that I, I despise writing, but adore having written. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. like being able to look at them and go, "Well, that's done," yeah. is much better than sitting there going, "Oh my God, verb subject agreement." Yeah, come on. But it, but it feels like a gift when you're in it. Like when you when you finally reach a point where you you it, it feels like somebody gave you something after a while even though it was you know it was 80 days in a row where you you woke up and 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 worked at something you weren't that inspired to do well that's not even true but i don't it's it's like you do the work and then after a while it starts to have its own its own payoffs i guess its own rewards i don't know this this is what happens when a guy who shouldn't be talking uh is talking i refuse to say that (laughs) i refuse to say that i would much rather hear somebody talk about their process when they are even that lightest bit Unsure, because that implies a desire to know and learn and grow, and not having all the answers. Which is also strange, because the director is supposed to be the person who has all the answers. When's lunch break? What lens do you want? Where should we put the extras? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking uh, over lunch. I'm a huge fan of a film. I've been, you know, that that guy for this movie, like Cray Cray, just grabbing people over the lapels and going watch it. And obviously you read other people's negative reviews just to get a glimpse of how they're feeling and in many cases precisely how wrong they are. And the one phrase I've, a friend of mine used in a conversation was quote-unquote film school, i.e. Austin Keller just felt really film school, man. And my thought, which I did not share with this friend, was that, but isn't film school the last time people are told that editing and sound and you know, non-linear, indirect storytelling can happen? Don't we need more of that in the film as opposed to less? That kind of play with the medium? I mean, you were talking about cinema and cinematic language and existing in and of itself. I mean, doesn't it have to be more than just a loud book or a long TV show or a comic that moves? I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah, that's... uh, uh, I... I... uh, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to be talking about this for a while, but I, yeah, it's like, um, the, I think the phrase I, I kept finding myself saying was that, that we, you know, we want film to be 
it has to be more than a, than a book that you can watch. Like it's got to find its own definition. Like it can't, it can't just be something, you know, a painting meets a sculpture or whatever. Like it's, it's, there, it's got a certain set of wonderful tools and strengths and we've built up a sort of rudimentary vocabulary so far in the last hundred years, but that's not it yet. That's not the definition of it yet by a long shot of, of narrative film. Um, so I don't, I don't, I think it's really interesting to have such a new form to be able to, to take part in, in the, in the, in the definition. But yeah, it's, it's, it definitely can't be, I mean, I don't know. I don't know anybody who's looking at movies, most movies from the forties and wondering why we don't just make them like that anymore. I I don't really want to see that. I'm, I love that we have a, a more hopefully advanced language when we're trying now, and I'm very curious about what it looks like in another, you know, hundred years or whatever. I'm, I'm, I mean, who do you who do you think of when you think of people who have a really good handle on cinematic language? I mean, I mean you know, there's, well, the, there's the temptation to say stuff like Kubrick, but I'm curious yeah. about what your answers are. Um, well, I mean, I, not anything special. I mean, every once in a while I see something that um, that, that I think pushes... I mean, I think there was a movie called Dogtooth that really stood out that year. That's as, an... Jorgos Lantimos. That's an yeah. amazing movie. It I is. lost my business for that film. Yeah, it's really wonderful. But but also, at the same time, like, I, I think P.T. Anderson and... and, and um, uh, Oh shoot! I, I think I think the master is is like wonderful and wonderfully like advanced, um, and so I'm not afraid to say that you know even a, a, a big movie that that's more than you know praised critically is 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 great too. I mean I, I I'm not I'm not so like off the beaten path that. No, that the the, the 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 formal camera stuff in the Lantima and Dog Tooth, the way it. I, oh yeah. I had got to introduce the screen evil once, and I joked the cinematographer cuts off more heads than the French Revolution. <laughs> but it totally works for the film and the look of it. You know, the sort of David Hockney, David Cronenberg, George Orwellness of it really gets expressed in the visual style. Yeah. And and that's a movie where you watch it and you feel like, holy God, something new is happening here. I just don't quite know what. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, which that's I mean that's what it should feel like. I think if you know. If you know exactly what it is, then I'm not sure what that is. There's also a weird feeling that every film has to be unpacked and taken apart, like the Zapruder film, and have every every moment explained, examined, handled in the DVD details. Is it when you make a film where it probably behooves people to sit back and watch attentively rather than? sit up and wait for it to explain itself to them is that do you know doing that that oh my god I'm opening myself to all kinds of misinterpretation and people simply missing things because I'm not pointing at them with a highlighter um, I think so but uh, I, I, what, I, I'm really sort of fortunate I think right now because any anybody Anybody who's who's going to watch Upstream because of I think because of you know the the trailers that we that we put out and the in the artwork and just anything that's been part of the how how we prepare an audience to decide whether they like to visit this or not everything about it 
is pretty honest. It's it's basically you know rel- relaying or telegraphing that this is a uh, this is a different sort of experience. It's it's uh, it's um, not going to be probably summed up uh, by the end of it, and that it's got something weighty on its mind, and you know it's up for. Uh, up for uh, review, I guess, as as to whether people think it's successful or not. But I, I don't think a lot of people are watching it, and at the end of it, well, that's not true. I'm sure there are some that are just like dismissing it and saying, "Oh, that was, that was just uh, didn't make sense." But there's also the danger of people who are watching it and not watching it. I've heard that great moment in the film where you and Miss Simetz, your characters, are intertwined and just talking, and there's this pan down or a move down and you see the matching ankle exits oh, yeah. where the worms were withdrawn and it's like the demonstrative proof that you two had been through the exact same experience not parallel right. but exactly the same yeah. and I know a bunch of people who just didn't see that didn't yeah. get it who wondered why your character was so like completely into Miss Simonson's quote unquote metaphorical jam and didn't get that you had been through the exact same thing and I mean it's easy to imagine the bad Michael Bay upstream color where your character rolls her pant up and pokes her sock down and points at the scar and screams I'm just like you yeah yeah. I mean more people would get that but would you but you have you're wanting the delicacy you want people to observe as opposed to having it like just popped right into her faces with a fist. Yeah, I see. This is why. This is another reason why I don't. I, I shouldn't be talking as an author because I'm honestly like you say that the people didn't get it, and and uh, all I can think is well, there's no reason to be obtuse about that. Why why not be a little bit more uh, upfront? Um, uh, so I'm, I'm now I'm defending a point that maybe I don't even have. But there like are plenty maybe of people who don't get very big things. Like we have yeah. climate change deniers. We don't say to them, "Well, let's make a science well, simpler." Right. Well, that's the thing. That, that's why I always go back to. Um, I, I I can't I can't. Well, there, there's a negotiation happening. You know, I, I, I talked about, you know, my, my definition for success is if, if a work has some life in the future and is relevant. Like, and I know to get there, uh, it, it, has to, it has to make some uh, effect in, in, the, in, the, in the modern world in some way. It can't just sit in a room. It's got to somehow be seen by people. And uh, I don't know what that level of people are. And I don't know what that level of people who say it's good is. Uh, but um, it's got to ha- somehow happen. So it's a negotiation between making sure that the work is good and as pristine as I know it needs to be, and at the same time satisfying um, people who, who who are willing to, to watch it today. Um, you have to make it and you have to show it to people, or else yeah. it's just kind of like you never, you're never recording in your four track and never come out of a basement. You have yeah. no barometer. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And the thing is, is but and, and I, I I end up getting so confident with 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 the work that I'll I'm I feel much better about pleasing those people in the future <laughs> or or that than than I am tending to let myself get worried about today. But I mean, that's. I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm not infallible, if, if a mistake was made, a mistake was made, uh, I'll have to, I don't know. Um, Bear in mind, I'm not saying that this is, I'm not, that whole thing I was talking about, the person not seeing the, the, the twin scar. Yeah. I'm in no way, shape, or form. Like, that shot lasts. I can see it. I am not sure. the most sharp tool in the shed. I'm just, one. you know, it's like the whole thing of how blunt you have to make a point, you know, blunt, blunting a point to widen its impact yeah. or keeping it light so that it matters. 
Well, and then there's the yeah. I mean, my I don't know. My my favorite films uh, are are typically ones where I'm seeing new information or, or something, some new nuance every time I'm I'm watching it. And so, as as a writer, that's where my mind goes. It's like well, as long as by the end of it, we're, we've had you know a satisfying emotional experience and and. Uh, I, I, it becomes less and less interesting to me to highlight every little detail of the plot. Um, I don't know. It's a, again, it's a negotiation. But um, yeah. I also want to ask you really briefly about casting. In that there are two very separate parts in the film. Uh, Mr. Tiago, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Tiago oh, Martins. You, he just goes by Tiago. Yeah. Tiago. Tiago Martins. As as the thief. Yeah. And Mr. Anderson as a sampler. Yeah. And you have two actors, one of whom is very rarely seen. And the other one of which does not get to speak. Yeah. How, do, how do you get people and say, by the way, we're going to totally deny you at least one of your most important tools <laughs> as an actor, but go for it? Uh, I, I was just really lucky to that. I don't know. I, Mr. Martin has that really velvety voice yeah. of, my head is made of the same material as the sun. I have disfigurement. You can't look at me. Yeah, we actually worked on that a, a, a while. Um, to sort of explain the, the the interesting part about about Chiago's character was uh, I we, we we talked about this for, for weeks before we were shooting but basically I I I wanted him to 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 feel or think of himself as somebody who'd probably been walking the earth oh, we have tiny dogs fighting yeah. it's okay life has shadows cool walking the earth for a while. walking the earth for a thousand years basically or longer that he like in any other in any other world he would have been a prince or uh, a pharaoh but he just happens to be uh, a guy here and um, and that you know that's why we, we dressed him in t-shirts and corduroys instead of anything you know too flashy or whatever I, I said you there's nothing about the way that you you speak or the way that you act that is trying to suggest power because you are power you are powerful so the way you speak and the way you the, when you tell her to do something there's no question about whether she's going to do it or not so you don't have to be commanding you simply say words and she will follow because you know you have this thing and so that was that was his entire like so so even before we started shooting we we came to terms with the fact that yeah that's that's that was what we were going to be that's what he would be doing uh, with, with that, um, yeah, I don't. I, I and then Mr. Seensig has yeah. that incredibly mobile face, so that while he's recording and being an emotional tourist, he doesn't need to say, "Oh, beautiful, beautiful." Or, yes, I've got. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, it's one of those great eyebrow-based performances. Yeah, he's he's he has such a. Um, it, by default, he has such a uh, a nice, pleasing face. Like you instantly trust him. So. It was, I don't know. It was, uh, it was actually, I think, really perfect. Because like at no point, he he always, he, when he looks intense, it just looks inquisitive. Um, not that I'm whatever. He knows exactly what he's doing um, and did it well. He he looks like somebody who has the best ever ant farm imaginable and yeah. has about the same level of emotional attachment to the ants. Right? He's a tourist. Yeah. 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 I think so. When you shoot, are you fast? Do you have to be fast just because of budget limitations? Are you doing a bunch of setups a day? Or is it a bit more contemplative because you know precisely what you want? Um, oh, man. It's, it's, uh, it's everything. It's, it's what it needs to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's slow days. Uh, 
I, I always, I typically always have a, like a plan A. Here's the, here's the world perfect. Here's if we, can, if if there was a way to physically have this camera here. Right. Here's what the world would look like. Here's my, because I mean we're always following storyboards uh, that are just my chicken scratch basically on the, on the back of the script. Um, but then there's real life, and there's the fact that uh, you know we're jumping on trains without permits, and we can't always get the shot the way you want. So. We have to sort of embrace um, the, um, you know, the sort of uh, a different style and, and make the most of that. And I don't know. It's uh, there, were, there, were, there. Were part, you know, whenever she's under um, under the the thief's um, uh, system, yeah. That's basically Casey Gooden's house, so we had pretty much complete control of that. And so, um, luckily, that's exactly also where uh, I wanted I wanted the the shots to be static for the most part, and we would we would. Um, I mean, that's almost nothing but static shots throughout that entire sequence, because it seemed appropriate that we're talking about control and locking down and and forcing someone's prison. Yeah, yeah. So like we, that that's what we, it needed to be. And then later on, luckily, uh, or or for whatever reason, um, you know, when when um, when we're dealing with the the sort of romantic uh, aspects of of, of the, uh, Chris and um, Jeff. It's it seems more appropriate to be able to be freer with the camera work, and luckily we had to do that because we're shooting on trains and shooting downtown and uh, aren't out with the starlings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's it's a lot more difficult to shoot with perfect composition um, in, in uncontrolled places like that. Uh, are you? I mean, with the whole thing of you know Roman Polanski tugging a hair out of Faye Dunaway's uh, head to get her hair "quote unquote" perfect for Chinatown, and of course not mentioning it to her or asking her. We now live in an age where you can like pretty much pixel massage anything to "quote unquote" perfection. Is that something that appeals to you? Is that is that level of control over the image something you want, or is it still the thing of going with the energy of what happens on the day? Uh, I mean, if I had to choose, I'd say the first one. I'd, right. I'd much rather be in control and know exactly what everything is from the get-go. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to contend with like the physical world. It's uh, you know, if, if it's raining and we don't want it to be raining, fine. Let's figure something out. We'll we'll, we'll solve this in some way. Uh, I'm I'm comfortable with that, mainly because I I think if if you get a group of people together, uh, and they've ingested the the material so well or internalized it so well, I think they can start to make decisions that are within a realm of possibility that are still true and still pointing at the 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 meaning of the film. You can you can sort of it's like improving with a piece of music that you've played a thousand times. It's still that piece of music. You can take some liberties with it and still know that it's that you're still your aim is true. That you're not you're not changing the meaning or intent or the or the work itself by making a different decision on the day. You still know how this is all going to work. I think it, it takes a lot of work, and uh, you know I I was really lucky to to come. Uh, to, 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 to be able to work with people that you know spend as much time listening as they do talking which is it's that seems to be the key it's like if you can listen as much as you talk then then everybody can internalize and understand 
you know, what it is that we're doing. That seems to be a, a really prized thing. Um, I don't know. You and that and having a cast who know that during a scene, you know, that breaking into a musical number would be wrong. I mean, that's an extreme example, but they know the tone and tenor of the material. Sure. And like you said, they internalized it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wrapping things up, you are writing right now. I'm not in any way, shape, or form going to ask about what it's about or what are the concerns. But is it something where you feel like you could shoot it or is it something where you feel like you'll have to shoot it or is it something you just want to um, get to somebody else? No, no, it'll, this will, I guess this will be the first film that actually has uh, the right tools. Um, so uh, I, it's important to me to, to be able to, to, Shoot it! Oh, you were you were just talking in general, not specifically whether I'd be handling the camera or not. Um, no, no, yeah, this will this will be like a, it'll it'll need the right tool, so it'll have to be a little bit different than the other ones. Um, I won't just run out and you know go. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I like how you say run out. It's like implying that you like you had that whole let's put on a show thing because each of the two previous times you've quote unquote run out and made a really great engaging film with great ideas but also emotional resonance so I don't feel like you should be selling yourself short no 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 um, yeah I mean it, it'll it'll. there will have to be actual you know <laughs> departments and and, and, and and people with machines <laughs> and, <laughs> these and, sorts of things and and uh, the machine that goes ping to quote Monty Python you'll have that in the corner too just looking yeah. all impressive yeah yeah we might even you know get a copy of QuickBooks for some accounting there, wow who knows you how big this thing could get you know? QuickBooks right you guys are stepping into the 20th century it's kind of awesome yeah we've been talking with director Shane Carruth from Upstream Color and of course Primer you can yeah. find Upstream Color on Twitter at Upstream Color and we dined at L.A. Mill Coffee. You're here in L.A. just escaping cold weather. You're writing, you're sequestered in, you're shutting the polar vortex. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you, though, the question, L.A. versus Texas, who wins the taco battle? Taco battle? Uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to patronize, but uh, I don't know anything about tacos. You're not, a pa- you're not a taco guy? I mean, I like tacos, sure, but I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not an aficionado or anything. I don't know the difference. You're not, you're not subscribing to Taco Connoisseur? Uh-uh. Have, have you found a place in L.A. where you like to just eat? Um, maybe one. Uh, it's weird. I, 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 for some reason, I, I have it. I spend so much time. I go to Fresh and Easy. It's my favorite place in the world. And uh, I, I just buy groceries and go home and cook, and that's become my. I like to, I like to make a soup, uh, I like to grill, and that's my favorite favorite thing to do. Um, having said that, there's a place called Edendale uh, that's really nice that I like a lot. You've been listening to the lunch. A podcast with background noise about film and food. We've been talking with Shane Carew, the writer, director, and star of Upstream Color. Shane, thank you very kindly for joining us. Of course, yeah. Thank you for, again, for, oh, and now for the coffee. What? Well, well you know, it's a, it's a full ride. Yeah. It's a full beverage and meal. If you're listening out there and want to be interviewed on this program... First class. The meal's included. First class all the way. If you are out there and looking for this program, remember you can find us at The Lunch Podcast on Twitter. I am, of course, your host, James Rocky. James, R-O-C-C-H-I on Twitter. More importantly, until the next time you tune in, go to the movies with your friends, have a meal afterwards, talk about it. It's a good thing. <laughs>